Hi, this is Shauna. Before we get to today's guest, I want to take a minute to learn more about you, the listener. We've put together a short survey at fueltalent.com slash podcast to gather information on who's listening and to give you a chance to make suggestions and comments about the show. I want What Fuels You to be a great resource for you and your interests, and I hope these interviews give you practical advice along with inspiration for your career and life. Help us continue to serve you better by going to fueltalent.com slash podcast. Thank you so much. Now let's start today's show. Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25-year recruiting career has always been the stories that people tell. Stories of leadership, career choices, company ideas, and team building. My inspiration for starting the What Fuels You podcast came from being curious about people's lives and wanting to help share their stories. What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Today's guest on the What Fuels You podcast is Justin Hayashi. Justin is the CEO and co-founder of New Engine a born digital, tech-fueled, people-powered, and growth-obsessed integrated marketing agency. Justin started New Engine in 2016 and has been fortunate enough to work alongside an exceptional team that has built the business to 230 employees and over 120 reputable brands, including General Mills, Viacom CBS, Google, Figs, and more. Prior to New Engine, Justin was at Zulily, building attribution models to evaluate advertising effectiveness, designing customer LTV predictions, and leading the customer acquisition marketing teams for both digital and offline advertising. Earlier in his career, Justin worked at Boeing and in economic development for the Sonoma County government. Outside of work, Justin spends as much free time as possible with his wife and 20-month-old daughter. Welcome, Justin. Good to see you. Yeah, you too, Shauna. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad that this is happening. I, this is like, this is one I've been super looking forward to. I'm going to hit you first with some rapid fire. Are you ready? All right, let's do it. Okay, so Seattle guy, I know you're from here. So are you water or mountains if you had to go on vacation? Water by far, yeah. Nice. So beach or lake? I got to push it a little further. Uh, beach, yeah. L lakes are cold. At least that's my, my understanding. When I think of beach, I think of Hawaii. When I think of lakes, yes. I think of like Washington. Yes. I'd rather be in... Uh, the, the oceans of uh, surrounding Hawaii than, than Lake Washington where it's freezing. I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, what's the best music that you like to work out to? Uh, hip hop. God, I'm loving you right now. I'm beach <laughs> and hip hop too. Is there a quote that you would say that you kind of um, live by or that you think about? Quote. Uh, one that, so the one, I don't know if I live by this, but it comes immediately to mind is the, uh, the stereotypical Yoda one or the, uh, the cliche Yoda one, do or do not, there is no try. Uh, that, that one's really stuck with me for, for some time. And it's, it's also kind of cute because Yoda's Yoda's adorable. So that's, do that's or do not, there is no try. I like this. I'm going to say this one to my kids. They need to hear this one a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and if you've just got a 20 month old, but with teenagers, you might want to like put this one up on the wall. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm uh, my my 20 month old is starting to turn into the uh, terrible too slowly. But yes. Sure. But, uh, so get ahead of it. Get saying. ahead of it. Um, is there a habit that you are currently trying to break? Habit that I'm trying to break. Uh, yeah, I mean the the, the, use, the basic health one. So there's a couple that come to mind. One is 
uh, going to sleep at a reasonable hour. I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of uh, more acceptance out there about people that are naturally uh, late risers. And I think I'm definitely that my circadian rhythm, at least this is how I justify to myself. <laughs> my circadian rhythm hits, uh, I think a little bit later in the day. And so I get kind of like a second wind at like 8 9 PM. Uh, but I still have to work, you know, early morning schedules. We have team members that are East coast. And so, uh, I hope to be kind of better about going to sleep earlier. I think that would be yeah. my priority. Yeah, that's smart. I got to stop watching TV at night because I'm the same as you. Exactly. Yeah. Um, is there something that you have read or listened to or watched over the past year that you would recommend? Uh, gosh, a I'm like of- with a 20 month old, maybe not. <laughs> Yeah, no, so TV and shows have, like the pandemic has actually helped. I used to get a lot of uh, crap from my colleagues and friends about how I, how I didn't know anything about pop culture or like TV shows or what's out there. And then, and then you know, spending all our time at home has uh, opened me up to a little bit more uh, on that front. But um, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I listen to a lot of audio books. So this, I've been kind of going through a tear on like Patrick Lencioni books, uh, who does like very short easy to read or easy to listen to um, kind of business lessons that are, and he kind of gives those lessons through anecdotes about um, uh, about specific businesses or operators of businesses or employees at various companies. And so there's like three or four that come to mind under that, but they're all, they're all really good. So you know, I just wrote that one down because I'm obsessed with audible, but I'm, I've been listening only to like um, musicians do like biogra- autobiographies, like which is really amazing. <laughs> yeah. I just yeah. listen to Will Smith and like Alicia. Yeah, Keys. that's on my list too. Will Smith. They're they're really really good and they're fun because they kind of sing in there too. But yeah. I like little nuggets for business inspiration, and so I wrote this one down. That's great. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's um, yeah. Well, speaking of which, this is like the perfect um, parlay into, I guess, your leadership style. What would be three words used to describe your leadership style? Um. Three words, yeah. Uh, so, so one, this isn't words; they're more descriptions. I'm kind of cheating here, but um, uh, I think empathy. So that that is a word. So I think that's one that I, I think is really important for leadership in general. And and, uh, and just to go elaborate further on that, I think empathy doesn't necessarily mean just um, uh, being nice for the sake of nice or caring for the sake of caring. There's a lot of implications of um, uh, of only servicing the individual's feelings at the in the moment. There's lessons that need to be learned. There's um, a lot of growth that's ahead for various folks at different stages. Uh, and being holistically empathetic, I think, is really important to, to the individual and where they're at and where they where they aspire to be and how you can help them there. So I, I think that's one thing that uh, uh, re- like that I've always appreciated in leaders that I've worked with that I, that I respect and, and I, I, I really try to emphasize. Um, uh, growth is the other one that co- comes to mind, I think. And this is uh, just the way my, my head works. And I'm, I always... For myself, I like to think through um, what's next. How do I continue to do things better? I, I tend to be fairly critical myself <laughs> um, in, in ways that uh, sometimes I think I should be probably a little bit nicer to myself about it, but, um, but ultimately I'm, I'm just trying to get better. And, uh, and I, you know, I think a lot of the people that uh, you know, I've, I've worked with at New Engine and in past, past roles, wherever they may be. Uh, so just, you know, I, I have large ambitions. I don't expect everyone to uh, have the exact same ones or in the same variant or same degree. Um, so understanding where they want to grow to and how to help them do that is, is really important for, uh, for me and, and, and feeling like a fulfilled relationship with my, my employees. Yeah, um, I love that. So you're saying um, like being empathetic, having like a growth mindset kind of thing, and yeah. also being like of service, like a, a 
um, servant leader to the rest of your team. I like yeah. those. Yeah, those absolutely. Are good. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of overlap here with some of your company values. I read about them. Curiosity, yeah. growth mindset, mastery. That one's yeah. like pressure cooker. Maybe that's the self-critical part. I'm like mastery. <laughs> I'm always at like 80%. Spirit, yeah. spirit of service. I yeah. love um, passion and perseverance and BU. The BU mm-hmm. is like amazing too, because especially in the last couple of years, as people are really much more focused on like the whole employee mm-hmm. and how do I, you know, it's not always just like give them a 10 K bump. It's like, yeah. how do yeah. I make sure that they're, um, that they're engaged and that they're getting their needs met for their mm-hmm. career. I think that's amazing. Yeah. Very yeah. cool. What, how was that process of coming up? We're going to get into it with um, yeah. new engine, but like, are these ever changing? Are these ones that you set from the beginning when you started the company in 2016? Yeah. So I, I have a practice of revisiting the values every single year. So even if uh, there's nothing pulling me to do so, I, at the end of the year, I check myself uh, and, check, and make sure we, we, with the executive team, review those and say, where do we want to be a year from now, five years from now? Uh, and we, we call that a vision exercise. I and like do, that. Are these the values that actually get us there? Or is there something else that we need to consider? So uh, we actually didn't change it this year. We felt they were still relevant for 2022. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but we do sometimes fine tune it, you know, every now and then. And so they weren't, they certainly weren't the values we had at the start of the company or even year two, year three of the business. Yeah. Um, something that we we stepped back and, and really put in place uh, roughly 18, 20 months ago or so. Interesting. I had this like artist come in and make all these cool pieces of art, each with a different mm-hmm. value on them. And so I'm like, eh. I already had the artwork made. I've literally like not changed our values. And I think it's a really important exercise. And thank you for the reminder. I actually think it's important because we're obsessed with service. We try to be obsessed with service. And that's not mm-hmm. even in our values. I'm like, that's actually a really good one. Um, so you started talking about being self-critical. Um, you know, sometimes this stuff is like, I told you my grandpa's a big influence on me. And like, mm-hmm. he was critical. Ironically, like in a... <laughs> in ironically the the people who can be the most influential in a positive way are ones who actually like are direct with you and maybe get you to be better by being critical Mm -hmm. what what was your family like growing up you grew up in seattle yeah yeah so uh yeah uh, my parents are both from japan uh they met in seattle uh so they they came uh to seattle in the late 20s uh and actually my my mom had me late so she was 39 when when she had me so which is back then uh you know definitely on the later side um, nowadays, you know, there's, uh, that's, that's not as, as I'm normal, but, um, uh, yeah, so met, met in the late twenties from Japan, uh, and, uh, they actually met in a restaurant called Maneki, which is in the international district. Wait, so. in Maneki? That's like our favorite restaurant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My husband, my husband takes pride in having like the cell phone text. We text the owner. We're like, we're coming. We yeah. love Maneki. They met at Maneki. Yeah. So my uh, mom worked there. My mom was a waitress uh, there. Um, I love Maneki. My dad, uh, he, so he was transplanted from, or brought over from uh, a Japanese company that had an office here in Seattle. And, uh, and he was, uh, yeah, just doing the expat life sort of. And, and uh, he's, you know, the, the unfiltered versions, he'd get drunk there all the time. <laughs> so yeah. you go there, karaoke, you get drink, drink every, almost every night, not, not good. Uh, but yeah, met, met my, uh, my mother there. And then, um, you know, I uh, called 10 years later, I was born. Wow. Are you an only child or you have siblings? No, I've got an older sister uh, who uh, is about 18 months older than me. Uh, yeah. yeah and, then, and then I was born right after that. Nice. Obviously, you went to great schools, Whitman, you went to Lakeside. Who kind of told you that, um, you know, education was important? Was that a value or you were just smart? 
I actually, I, I don't, I really don't think of myself as smart and, and like, and I'm sure people say that and try to be humble. Like I legitimately don't think I'm smarter than the average person out there. Um, it, as far as like education importance, uh, my parents, you know, both really, uh, you know, put a lot of value in that. And so uh, wanted me to go to Lakeside, all those things. Uh, but I, you, know, you, you asked a question around like self-criticalness and whatnot. I think I get that a lot of that from my mom. So my, my, my mother was uh, always pushing me to, to kind of think about how I can be a better version of myself. And I think there's pros and cons to that approach. Um, my father, on the other hand, was he was always his motto was um, be uh, at average or just below average, and that's great. Like he'd always say that to me. <laughs> uh, <but laughs> I love your still, dad. I'm like, I yeah, feel so safe with him right now. I'm like, oh, we could just yeah, be he average. Is, he's great. very chill. So they got divorced, as uh, probably. That's so <laughs> funny when you were saying, oh, and then you drink it. There. I'm like, are they still married? Yeah, they, How's that going? Very different personalities. I don't even know how they got married. Um, frankly, they they are nine day difference. My dad's. Uh, lives in Hawaii now. He's uh, uh, happy-go-lucky, very relaxed. My mom's a little bit more strung up. And I think I've gotten like a weird mixture of both, depending on like the work and the situation I'm in and, and all that. But, um, but, uh, but yeah, so, so I think the self-criticalness definitely comes from, from the, the mom side. Uh, but yeah, in ter- terms of the importance of education, I think they both, they both always kind of saw value in that. My mom definitely much more so. And kind of yeah. pushing me to be get better. But I, I didn't have good grades or anything necessarily. I actually got, uh, so I, I entered Lakeside in seventh grade and um, it was a shocker, like a shocking, jarring experience for me because it was, I went from like elementary school where, you know, it felt like more about the socializing experience as opposed to the actual work. At least uh, that's how it was for me. And then went to Lakeside and then it was like regimented classes and like everyone felt a little more like high strung and, uh, dialed in than, than I was used yeah. to. And I actually, um, got academic probation that year. I got like a D in a couple classes and they put me on notice. And so I had to go through eighth grade on academic probation and try to, you know, work my way out of it. But I, I was always an okay student, but not, and I, I, was, I was never, a, like a failing student, but I wasn't, you know, Right. I was by no means like killing it. <laughs> what, what were you into besides school? Like, were you into music, into sports? Yeah. So I, the, uh, I played tennis. Uh, and so it, you, know, you, you mentioned uh, perhaps even before we just got on briefly about kind of motivations and, and people that, you know, it, uh, influencers in my life that kind of impacted my mindset. And um, so I, I got into tennis at 12 years old and uh I was really, I was got, I got really lucky. So I had a, um, there's a, a tennis club nearby that uh, was willing to let me teach uh, like little kids. I started off teaching like three to five year olds and then eventually 10, 12 high schoolers as well as, as time passed by and, and then trade that in for uh, uh, actual group classes at, at the place called, it's called, a facility's called Central Park Tennis Club in Kirkland, Washington. Okay. Uh, and uh, under, under Doug? Uh, was Doug, uh, the, Doug, I can't remember his last name, but Doug was, so we've never, have we never discussed. Did you know that I played tennis at UW? I did not know that. How at did UW. we never? So you're actually have, good. You're legitimate. No, no, you too. I mean, serious. I used to teach also, like we should go hit balls, although I'm slow. A you'd, you'd probably kick my ass. No, no, I can't play anymore. That's why this is perfect. Yeah. This is perfect. Just somebody who can return the ball and like we can laugh and then go see Dave at his bar and go grab a beer. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> That's um, so awesome. I didn't realize that about you. Yeah. So yeah. So that that like that ecosystem actually I think taught me a lot of lessons. So like you gotta like I I put in time, I get in class, and and then I ended up playing like five, six days a week uh as a result of that. And 
So that was like my extracurricular activity. There's a, a coach there named Lisa Moldrum. Oh, um, so she was my coach at UW. She was, yeah. Okay, yes. so yeah, she went to UW. I think I long. just connected with her on LinkedIn. That's so yeah, funny. Yeah, yeah. And so Lisa was, I, I think, definitely, and there's a couple, of, like Clay Runnels is another person there. Um, awesome. Bill Anstell. Uh, just like massive impact on my life, I would say, in the sense that uh, it gave me confidence because, you know, with the divorce, when you're, my parents got divorced at basically just before I turned 13, so 12 years old. Um, and, uh, and, and so at Lakeside, like obviously great school, but I wasn't doing well relative. I was, uh, you know, about to get kicked out. That's and, a lot happening all at once. Your parents yeah, divorced, lot, lot, new school, lots of rigor, multiple it, homes. That's hard. Exactly. And then, and um, my, my dad's uh, job actually, uh, so he tried to start his own company. It didn't go well. It failed. And so, so then like he was in a financially constrained position. Um, so both my parents were working. My mom was working two jobs at the time, um, H&R Block and then a restaurant job. Uh, and then I was like, you know, back then Lakeside had a limited financial aid program and, and I was one of, one of a few that were on there. So I just felt this like wealth disparity as well from my peers that also just didn't, you know, you know, you don't process it well at 12 years old, 13 years old when you're of going course, through puberty and all, all the things. So yeah, that's tough. That's so, tough. um, yeah. And so like Central Park Tennis Club, uh, really just like was the place where I started to build confidence as a human being. Cause I did where I didn't feel like I actually had an, an ability to do that. And, um, you know, helping me improve my game and play tournaments. And so I, I wasn't a D one player as a D three player. So not as good as you. So um, Whitman, I didn't realize Whitman's such a good school. I think that's Jonathan Spazzato went there. He's been on the podcast and yeah, he yeah, is like I've really into Whitman. Like yeah. he's now super involved. I think he's on the board and I know it's a phenomenal school, super hard to get into. So is that where you played at Whitman? That, yeah, that's where I played. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's very cool. Do you still play? Uh, I have not played in four years. So yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you've been building it. You've been building a business, having a baby. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. And even the time before that was like two years ago. Yeah. So, so it I, keeps coming up on the podcast because I think a lot of people love tennis, but I'm really obsessed right now with pickleball. And I want to get I really want to get like more into it. So if you ever want to play, I'm just trying I, to I would people. love to play. I'm, I like that seems more my speed. It's not as uh it's more fun. Yeah, exactly. It seems a little more lighthearted. Uh, yeah well especially if you've been good at something and then you know you're going to get out and just suck it's the worst feeling in the world you're like I don't need that I get like beat up at work like let's I just want to hug and like laugh and yeah totally yeah for sure interesting so was Whitman the right choice for you is that um was that a great college experience or kind of what's your take on it yeah I, I loved it it was it was great it was another um uh kind of experience transformative experience I would say where I got I built really great friendships um continue to I think further you know, for me, like confidence, I think is a, uh, a really important thing in your belief in yourself and, and, and helping you understand what your ceiling could be. And, uh, and, you know, that my four years at Whitman helped kind of me understand what I could be truly uh, capable of. I, I remember, you know, even before going into Whitman or even like midway through, and this kind of goes into like the first job offer I got uh, as I was looking or uh, looking for my first job out of school, I was really hoping for something that would, uh, you know, at least be a salaried position where I didn't have to work at like a McDonald's or a, like I, I first, and this is kind of the fear mindset I came up, came up with or, or grew up with, um, really was just worried about like what my future could be, could look yeah. like. It just with me, yeah. gave me a lot of connections, a lot of confidence, just let me uh, explore other extracurricular activities that, um, I don't think I would have at potentially a bigger school. And so for me, it was perfect just in the stage of life that I was in. And yeah. what, I what, did, what did you study there? I studied uh, Asian studies, which is uh, uh, like an interdisciplinary um, history, politics, 
um, language kind of interdisciplinary major. Uh, I was, uh, it was decided to do sociology and Asian studies. So I was kind of much more on um, thinking about uh, even like nonprofit type work or um, government type work, uh, not necessarily business uh, when I was going through school. I, I started off just like a lot of people thinking I wanted to I was, I had to go through pre-med, pre-dental, you know, some, something to that extent. And then yeah. a year and a half in realized that I was not at all interested in, in the courses and the classwork and, and decided yeah. to know. Interesting take on like how you're talking about your dad, like starting and struggling with businesses and being an entrepreneur that sometimes that turns people off completely from the idea of ever starting their own company. I'm excited to hear about like this theme of confidence, like mm -hmm. how you ultimately decided um, to start new engine. But I think when I met you, you were at Boeing. Was that the, was that yeah, yeah. the job? That was the first job out of Whitman? Uh, that was tech. Well, so no, the first job out of Whitman was a county government job. In oh, yeah, yeah. Development. Um, but I actually, so I got the first job offer I got was from Boeing as is 2009 is when I graduated. And, you know, basically they announced 10,000 layoffs the month before I graduated or two months before. And, um, and then they cut my job offer right, right as I was about to graduate. Yeah, so, that's a tough year to graduate. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was not, not, not fun. So took the first job, which was an economic development opportunity, which was great, actually. I'm, I'm, I'm no regrets about that either and had uh, a lot of great mentors and that experience. And then, and then Boeing came back and reached out about the, the offer that they rescinded and, and offered it back. And so yeah, to Boeing. And the Boeing was like a program, right? Can you tell me a little bit more about the program that you were in at Boeing? Yeah, yeah. It was called the, the Business Career Foundation Program, BCFP, I think is the acronym. And, and um, basically, it's a two-year rotation program where you rotate through business finance, marketing sales type functions. And uh, it's, it's uh, two years of, uh, or six stints, uh, three months, sorry, four months each, two years. And you just get to see a lot of different parts of the company and, and how things work. And then, and then after the two-year program, you jump into one of those functions, uh, um, generally speaking, although there's some exceptions there. I mean, I'm also a Seattle person that, as you know, and I don't think I ever would have thought about going that route, but now with mm -hmm. some perspective, I'm like, that seems like a hands-on MBA, like the best job you could ever have. I just didn't even know it existed. Like, how did you know about that job? <laughs> Yeah, it's, yeah. Did they recruit so, out of Whitman? Is that the they, deal? They did not. No, they, they, there was an alum alum that had, and I don't know how she got involved in the program, but she was one year ahead of me, and uh, and I think interned at Boeing, and then they they naturally funneled our source from interns to that program, uh, and so she went through an internship and then got recruited into that program. But yeah, they don't directly recruit through Whitman, but she was kind enough to send a note to our career center and just say, hey, this is you know interested. I can try to uh, get your resume better yeah. visibility than the automated screening system that Boeing uses. Um, so got, got really lucky that that path was already there, but uh, yeah. And so a lot of people apply to the program and then of the people that work in that program, how many continue on, or is it thought to be kind of like a rotational kind of on off ramping, I guess, to other companies? Yeah, it's, it's, they generally, I mean, they definitely want it to be a leadership development program for Boeing. Um, I don't think in practice it has, <laughs> Uh, I think it's been hard for Boeing uh, the last few years, for sure, um, with with uh, everything that's happened on the 8-7 program and 3-7 uh, as well. Uh, but even back then, when I was there 10 years ago, um, you know, I think this was when Amazon was starting to, to like really, I mean, obviously, it's been dominant for a long time, but it's continued to be dominant in the city. There was um, Microsoft that's doing exceptionally well, Expedia. And so I think there, uh, it was just a challenging environment that, um you know, wasn't perhaps playing out as, as ideally as they, they would hope. But yeah, I, you know, the intent is for it to source into 
future Boeing positions and, and lock them in for the for the long yeah. term. And what did you learn about yourself through the rotation as far as where what are your ninja skills? Like this is where yeah. I'm meant to thrive. Um, yeah. So like you know, like are you sales? Are you marketing? Like what would your role be in a company if you're not running it as the CEO? Yeah. So uh yeah, that's great. That's an interesting question. Um the so I, when I think about the Boeing experience, I, I struggle with that question because I actually learned more about what I don't like than what I what I think I'm. That's bad. that's equally as valuable, yeah, if not more. Which, which was really helpful. So I, you know, being a Seattle person, um, I always looked up to Boeing a ton, especially you know in the '80s, '90s. Like that, that was an iconic company, uh, and it was headquartered here back in the day instead of Chicago. Uh, and so I really looked up to the business and and um, wanted to work there. And it's global and all this cool, sexy stuff that I that I thought was cool. Uh, and then going there and, and no shot at Boeing, I think Boeing's a, a really important company in, in, in the world. Um, but it was, it moves at a pace that, um, uh, I found frustrating and, and, and I'm, and I'm actually glad it moves at that pace because they're building airplanes that, <laughs> that put yeah, people's exactly. lives. Exactly. You're like, can you please take a little minute and slow down? Yeah. yeah. So it's good. Like, please continue to take the time and diligence and, and have the, the checks and balances. Um, but but as far as, uh, but it does, you know, uh, prohibit speed of decision, agility in a lot of areas that I felt didn't necessarily need to operate that way. And so, right. um, so I went through six different rotation, pro- uh, six different rotations and, and even spent some time in South Korea, Washington, DC, and then, and then in the Seattle area and um, everything from factory uh, operations to marketing, sales, accounting. Um, and I just didn't like any of it actually was, uh, was where I kind of landed on it. So that was when I was uh, very actively looking for just something different and, and yeah. maybe something smaller. And, and that's when a friend of mine who I think was in talks with you, Shana, about that Zulily role, um, wasn't looking, but then he referred, I was looking at the email threads the other day. Was it, was it Cameron? His name was Evan, Evan Purcell. Uh, oh, Evan. Yes. Where's he? These, uh, yeah. How's he's Evan? now at a yeah. air, air table. Uh, but he was, I think, back then at Google. Uh, good job for looking it up because I don't think I would have remembered. I just know that you yeah. made me look really good at Zulily because that was a really hard client. It was hard to get hired. Yeah. They had you take that test. Um, yeah. yeah, that's right. And yeah. that was like a really good weeding out process. Um, yeah. I never even, I mean, yeah, you crushed the test and then you got in there and crushed your job. Right. And so how was it different for you? Like, how was that like a big kind of um, culture shock, like such a different company? Yeah, than for Bowen. sure. It, it was a massive culture shock. It, it was, uh, uh, you know, going from, uh, I think at the time Boeing was, I could be, could be off but like 10, like high tens of thousands, maybe even, maybe even close to hundred thousand employees. And then going to Zulily, which in 2012, at the time that I joined was probably 300 employees or so. It's right. just a massive, massive difference. And then um, the speed and agility of decisions, kind of going back to that point, much, much faster. The access to data, uh, the ability to use data to make great decisions, um, the skill set, that skill set that they possessed was like mind blowing to me. And so, uh, and it actually, it, that culture shock hit when I first did the interviews, when I met with Dave Atchison um, and I, I think I interviewed with a guy named Kieran Akineni, who's now the CMO of Zulily, um, uh, who, who I, I really respect as well uh, and, and a few others, but uh, yeah, just, they were objective, they were analytical, data-driven, and they were fast to make informed decisions. Um, and, and those decisions, you saw the impact quickly, especially in the e-commerce context where you've got millions of customers and you make a change and you see purchase behavior change, you know, just as a result of that change. 
um, it was just so different. So yeah. Yeah. Well, Dave, Dave always impressed me because he was always so thoughtful and so thorough with the interviews. Some are like, yeah, no pass, you know, or on to the next. And he was so um, clear in what he was looking for. And so mm-hmm. it's like, I know it when I'll, I'll know it when I see it. And yeah. um, you guys must have formed an incredible relationship and just yeah, worked yeah. beautifully together because you ended up, you know, starting New Engine together. Mm-hmm. What was, how did that whole idea come to be? And what problem, I guess, at the time were you trying to solve? Like, yeah, why was yeah. it, why was it worth leaving Zulily to go start New Engine? Yeah, yeah, fair, fair question. So, so one, uh, we left Zulily, we didn't start new, uh, sorry, we didn't leave Zulily to start New Engine. Um, and so I think Dave, you know, he had, he had gone five plus years at, at Zulily. Uh, he was literally, I think, employee number four. Um, and so, you know, he'd gone through a lot, a lot of growth, uh, a lot of success, IPO, and then an acquisition from QVC. And so uh, I think he kind of, left to take a break and, uh, you know, collect his thoughts and, you know, putting words in his mouth. But, but I think he would say some version of that um, and just figure out what's next and, and take some time off. Um, and then Jean-Guy, our other co-founder, he was an engineer. Uh, I think he's, he also similarly, I think, left for, you know, similar, similar reasons. He was an early engineer at, at Zulily, um, uh, you know, I think in 2011, uh, so, and it, so yeah. that was year one or year two of the business. Um, and he, he always has liked the smaller environment. Uh, and so he's actually left New Engine for, for the same reason. Good friend of mine. So very amicable. Yeah. But, I actually uh, looked on his LinkedIn to be like, where is this guy now? Yeah. yeah. And it, I think it says like indefinite, like retirement or something yeah. like he's, he's <laughs> yeah. like, he's having a break. Yeah. He's, he's, uh, and that's very Jean-Guy, if you know him, he's, he's just, uh, um, yeah, he, he just, yeah, he, yeah. he likes the early stage. So I don't think I remembered the whole, I just remember all of a sudden being like, oh, Dave's got a company and Justin's there. And I don't think I remembered the like birthing story. So this is interesting to me. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, definitely I can uh, jump into that. So basically, you know, I, I left uh, thinking I wanted to do a earlier stage company. So basically, you know, through, through my journey, uh, almost four years at, at Zulily, uh, I you know took a step back, said, what did I like about it uh, the most? And it was really in the early stage where, Again, agility, decisioning, um, kind of uh, progress, visible progress on the day to day, and um, and so I was looking at a lot of early stage startups. So I was interviewing with like companies like Revolve Clothing, uh, Dolly, which is in the Seattle area, with Mike yeah. Howell. But I love Mike. Company. Mike was just on the podcast. Love him. Yeah, yeah. Remitly uh, is another company I interviewed yeah. at. Um, uh, so a bu- bunch in the area, and then a bunch in San Francisco, LA, New York, uh, and then there was just a very clear common theme from that, which was they were all looking for uh, data-driven, kind of growth, accountable marketing uh, people. Uh, that, that was just the, the, the trend I saw. Dave similarly had a very, di- uh, from a di- very different standpoint, because he was more advising companies, investing in companies, saw a very similar trend. We started talking in February 2016 about loose ideas and also thinking about our Zulily experience and, and what could have what could we have done that could have made it even better uh, than what, we had, uh, what, what happened over the last four or five years. And I think there are things that we were uh, wrong about uh, when we were thinking about the business and, and, and some things that absolutely still hold true. Uh, and so the, ultimately the mission or the objective of the business, which is to help other companies grow in measurable, accountable ways and being best in class at that, that hasn't changed. The, the how in which we do that has transformed quite a bit. And so when we first started the business, uh, we thought it had to be a software solution, a technology solution. And so, um, uh, and, and, you know, we were thinking about our Zulily experience and saying, well, uh, we were just starting to invest in advertising technology solutions and building our own homegrown solutions. And if we had done that earlier and quicker, maybe that could have been even better for the company. 
And maybe that's what we need for all other, uh, to bring to market to all other businesses. So hence the onboarding of Zhang Yi as well, our, our first uh, uh, lead engineer and co-founder um, and raise capital with Trinity Ventures and August Capital under a B, uh, B2B SaaS, uh, MarTech, ad tech solution kind of company thesis. Um, did a series A as well with that. And so, uh, yeah, so that, that was the original kind of how in which we thought that had to be accomplished. What we found out, you know, uh, every single year and, and, and kind of in more and more pronounced ways was that the services side, especially in marketing and digital was in high demand and continue to be in high demand and where we're seeing the majority of the growth. And so that's like the very quick version, which I can go in more deeper detail, but, um, but yeah, also how we started the business and where, how we made that transition. And how did you come up with the name? Yeah, there's an uh, embarrassing email thread between myself and Dave and Zhang Yi on this where we were spitballing ideas, all of which were terrible. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. But we basically went with, with Dave's and, and uh, Dave, <laughs> Dave's, you know, Dave was trying to think, one of the, the, the sounds and the, the components of the name to have a meaning behind it as opposed to just something that sounds like whatever. Mm-hmm. And so new was to, uh, to kind of... Um, signify the new customer acquisition part of what we do. So we are looking, we're going to help businesses acquire new customers well, so new, and then also a new business, kind of, kind of like a tool yeah. word there. Uh, and then uh, engine, one, it sounds like an engine, and we thought we were building a technology solution that would scalably do this, and so that was part of it. The GEN was generating new customers, generating growth, generating uh, revenue, et cetera. And so that's how we got to new engine. Yeah. Well, Jen is in like almost all of our marketing jobs that we get in now. They're like demand Jen. Yes, like, demand Jen. Yep. <laughs> everything is like right. Jen, Jen, Jen. Yep. I like yep. I love the name. And so um, so 2000, so the three of you say, okay, we're gonna do this thing. And how do you decide who's in what role? Or was it like kind of organic over time where you kind of fell into your lanes? Or did yeah, you decide yeah. so- before you started? Yeah, so we we actually spent six months working on the business before we decided to incorporate it and raise raise funds. So, um, you know, Dave and I started talking in February, March, April, got Zhang Yi on board. And what we decided was we were going to build an early prototype software solution and see, could it, like, let's offer for free and could it do better, uh, do, do a better job growing new customers, revenue, sales for the clients we work with and what they're doing today. And so... Uh, so we basically spent, you know, the kind of call it four to six months uh, onboarding clients for free. So one one of our first clients was a company called Thrive Cosmetics. Um, I love Thrive. Oh my gosh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I use their mascara, I use their shadow, their lip gloss. I used a lot of Thrive. Yeah. And so they moved to LA now, but they were in uh, they were a three person company at the time in uh, the in Lower Queen Anne in a, in a small office there. Um, you know, Dolls Kill was another early client before we incorporated the business. Um, I believe Dolly was as well. Tavor is another one. I don't know if you're familiar with that company in Seattle. What's um, it called? Tavor, T-A-B-O-U-R. They're a, a beer. Uh, they used to be a beer subscription. Uh, craft oh, interesting. Beer um, they're based in Soto. They've been around for, for several years, I think now. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, basically built that early prototype, saw that it actually drove better performance than um, these agencies that they were using. And so... You know, gave us the confidence to say, yeah, I think this is a real, real opportunity. I, you know, ultimately, uh, in the where what my role at the time was was like developing the product, uh, or, well, uh, the specs behind the product. Zhangi actually coding the product, and then I was servicing the clients on the day to day. And so um, I had much more of an operator, uh, kind of client services focus early on. And Dave was the CEO of the business, 
Um, and also, have, you know, he, he had a lot of great connections with uh, obviously Daryl and Mark from Zulily, who were uh, board, board members as well as investors early on, uh, Trinity August. Um, and so that's kind of how we naturally just slipped into our role. So I was, yeah. I was originally the president of the company, Dave was the CEO, and Jean-Guy was um, uh, chief engineer. Yeah. Interesting. So I have about 20 questions going through my brain yeah. really fast right now, but I don't want to forget what I was going to ask, which is, um, I guess, like what size, those are smaller companies. Is there a minimum mm-hmm. size company? I think I asked Dave this at some point because I was like, I need help. And I think mm-hmm. I was like too small or that it was like too expensive or something. Like okay. what's what's the business model as far as how you guys make money and how do you differ from other marketing, yeah. you know, enabled companies? Yeah, for sure. So so now, you know, I, I kind of have talked a lot about the early stage. If I were to fast forward now five and a half years, we are, you know, we identify and our positioning is a, uh, a growth marketing, digital marketing agency. So we're here to uh, be your digital agency of record, which includes iterative performance creative, which includes influencers, which is a, a company we just uh, um, uh, merged with in, in Arkansas that has an influencer um, yeah. uh, uh, service around it. And then We've got media, performance marketing, performance media as well to kind of wrap it all together to enable growth for the brands that we work with. Um, so marketing agencies is kind of the simple <laughs> labeling. Um, as far as uh, you know, the, the types of companies we work with today, it's, it's actually now much more in the enterprise or high yeah. growth side. So like the companies like you know, Viacom, CVS, The Home Depot, Patagonia, 1-800-Flowers.com, yeah. uh, Rothy's, um, Figs down in LA, just those companies that are, uh, either pre-IPO and growing growing rapidly and disrupting their space, or these big titan businesses like eBay and Home Depot, as I mentioned, that are um, you know spending hundreds of millions of dollars on on digital and looking to do that in a more innovative or uh, you know drive continued performance on top of their historical efforts. And so the business model is like, how do you make money, and how do how do your mm-hmm. clients measure? success because I find marketing to be we just started spending money on marketing it's so hard to yeah. measure the ROI mm-hmm. yeah so we we are uh you know pretty classic professional services model the way we we charge we've got monthly retainers and then we've got um variable fees on top depending on the budget so for example especially like a company like 1-800-flowers.com and it's February 15th today and so Valentine's Day is a very large volume uh and high stress time frankly and so we staff uh, extra people during these kind of peak moments. Mother's Day will be the next one. Uh, and so we have a, uh, our fees basically increase during these kind of ebbs and flows of budget Q4, another time where things get more intense and, and high touch. And so, um, you know, it's professional services staffing. Uh, and we try to put together an SOW pricing structure that um, pays for the cost of servicing the business to where they want to go in their, in their next stage of growth. Um, Yes, another question that I just blanked out on. Well, I was going to ask how they measure your success. Like, what what types of what type of data do you provide them to say, hey, yeah. this is actually working? Yeah. So the the uh, in ninety five percent of the cases, it's about new customer growth, revenue growth, profitably. That's that's what we're accountable for. And so um, if it's and, and, and as a result of that, you know, I think one thing to note: every company is a little bit different, right? There's B two B, which could take a really long time for um, deals to close, especially in the enterprise side. And then there's B2C, which is, you know, you're, if you're selling a pair of pants, that consideration cycle isn't quite as long. And so, um, and therefore, it's much more easier to measure the actual impact of, of marketing efforts and digital advertising efforts. So as a result of that, the space that we play in tends to be heavily towards business to consumer type models, e-commerce, retail, um, some fintech, um, but but very much on uh, 
on, on that side of things as opposed to long lead cycle where there's a lot of other factors that potentially influence that purchase decision. Interesting. And so if, if you're me and I'm running an enterprise company and I'm mm-hmm. interviewing you and whoever else you come up against as, as competitors, what types of questions would you encourage if you were consulting me to mm-hmm. ask to kind of weed out someone who's going to waste my time or my yeah. money? Yeah. So uh, in, in, in you're, you're talking about specifically for marketing services. And growth yeah. Services. Like if I'm interviewing you and, and your five competitors, um, mm-hmm. you know, I would be able to tell a friend like, hey, here's what you need to ask this recruiting firm. <laughs> Yeah, and this yeah. is what you need to look out for. And this mm-hmm. is how you should measure their success. These are the data points that you should be looking at. Yeah. So I, I'm curious, like, how to be a good interviewer of your services. Yeah, yeah. So I think I think the uh, what it's really hard for one. That's kind of one one thing I, I would say because there's so many providers in the space, and uh, so it's crowded. They, there's a lot of people that spend a lot of uh, time and energy into marketing and sales collateral and coming off very polished and saying all the right things, but that doesn't necessarily represent the quality of the services that that is provided. And so um, so I, I'd say like even the interview themselves or the questions you could ask them themselves are not necessarily going to translate to value. And so so putting it differently, there's I've seen great marketers or great uh, agencies out there that um, that are just not great at sales. <laughs> uh, I was talking to the CEO of an agency literally last week. His, he said he's really talented, really technical, really strong marketer. And, he, and he's, but he was like, I'm a terrible CEO and I'm a terrible uh, salesperson. And so it's, it's frustrating yeah. to be in the space that I'm in. On the other hand, there's plenty of examples. And this is where we, we net out positive, where companies get um, enamored by the sales pitch and the process. And then the actual, and the, and the founder or the sales team is exceptional at that. But then the actual people delivering the services is a different team. And, and it feels almost like a bait and switch. And so I, I would actually, especially in professional services in this type of arena, I, I lean heavily on um, referrals and reference calls and mm-hmm. um, talking with other people that have worked with, with uh, that firm, especially if it's a contract you're locking into that's you know six months, 12 months, et cetera, which a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of firms nowadays do that. And so um, and, you know, we do as well. So I think that's the, the kind of best barometer uh, versus anything that any salesperson could say to you. Yeah, I think that that's super, super good advice. And so as you've scaled the business, now how many employees do you have and then you did this acquisition? I'm curious about um, how you're feeling about the culture that you've created. Yeah, yeah. So we, we're all together about 230 people um, and, uh, and growing and looking to hire if anyone's looking for marketing or <laughs> jobs. You know, We have a lot of roles open right now. Um, the... Uh, and yeah, so we, as you noted, we, we uh, just brought on Acorn Influence, which is a company um, in Rogers, Arkansas, or in the Bentonville, Fayetteville uh, region, uh, focused on, on influencer marketing services. Um, and so they're about 45, 50 people uh, uh, in, in that, in that uh, group uh, alone. Um, as far as the culture, I, you know, I think the, it's, it's been an interesting two years, and it, but I do feel like we're in the strongest place we've ever been. Uh, and so I think that's the, the kind of overall sentiment. As far as the way it looks is very different than I would have thought when we first started the company or even three years ago. Um, you know, we've hired a lot in the, in the last two years. And so even a very, I don't know the exact percentages, but call it 40 plus percent are probably, have probably never met more than one person. Uh, Isn't that crazy? We've yeah. hired, we've hired a lot too. And I know you've got your, you, I mean, I don't know if this is still true, but I read mm-hmm. Seattle, San Francisco, New York, Dallas, and Charlotte. I'm super curious if like, are you still using those offices? Like, how are people going to meet each other? 
Yeah, yeah. So we we have Seattle, New York, Charlotte now. So we've closed a few <laughs> just because yeah. no one was going into it. Uh, and those leases came up and we just decided it wasn't it wasn't worth uh, keeping that open just because the, uh, totally. the uptake was low. Um, uh, and, and we're in 30 different states now. So um, yeah, they're, they're, we've very much embraced a remote first culture. Uh, we have a lot of energy and uh, kind of documentation around how we want the virtual culture to look. And, uh, you know, not even if you are in an office together, put your, put your Zoom on and, and, and in the same room with someone else and look in the camera and, and don't exclude people that uh, don't have the benefit of being in the same region. So it's just, it just looks very different. Whereas pre-pandemic, it was really about the in-office culture and the connectivity and the conversation totally. are cooler. And we prided ourselves in that. And, and we've had to really change the mindset um, and, and be intentional about how we conduct meetings, how we work with each other, how we slack or having respect for people's time zones and not pinging someone at seven o'clock um, just because it's four o'clock your time. It's they're probably yeah. doing other things. And, and so, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of intentionality that's required to, to kind of get there, but really important for us to keep scaling in this stage that we're in. Yeah. And we're 30 states, so there's no no turning back. There's point. no turning back. A lot of companies are still saying they're like in person, ideally, but we've hired in like, yeah, like you're saying, 30 different states. I'm like, and what's your plan B? Like there is yeah, no, right, right. it's kind of like the, the it's left. The train has left the building. Yeah, it's exactly. still gone. And so what about um, how has that helped with or impacted your ability to hire, you know, uh, more diversity, and mm -hmm. then, of course, the challenge around inclusivity of that yeah, diversity, yeah. like you were talking yeah. about. Yeah, I think, you know, if anything, I think it's helped to be uh, <laughs> um, in a meaningful way to be uh, open to all markets. You know, I think historically we used to hire mostly in Seattle, which is, isn't that diverse, I, I think. And, and it's not. Yeah. yeah I mean, and, and obviously you can define that a million different ways. And so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of thinking about it from a... a racial lens but, I, but obviously there's a bunch of other kind of uh, elements there but um, right but yeah but not not a terribly diverse uh, market and and so I think we've gotten a lot more a, a, an injection of a lot of different invaluable perspectives from a lot of different socioeconomic statuses racial ethnic, ethnic backgrounds um, even a lot of discussion around silent disabilities and, and other um, dimensions that aren't so visible um, to, to the day-to-day -day. And, and how do we be cognizant of that and ensure that everybody, in the company is giving you know their fair shake of being successful at the, at the business and so um so i think overall it's been that that's kind of accelerated years for us as a company and by by having this remote element um but the other the other uh, dynamic i think is also the um uh the ability to kind of really recognize that you know we, I, we didn't go too much into the, the history of the company but we're we used to have this tech component and this services component as, as i mentioned and as we've embraced that we are a services business, professional services business, uh, I think what makes it really clear, at least I, I full heartedly believe is like, it's about the people. Literally 90 plus percent of the cost of the business is, is human capital, it's people. The people are what drives us. There's no, nothing, nothing the else. People, the people drive, and if they're engaged, then they're, then they're gonna be better right. to the customers and the customers are gonna be more loyal, more engaged. It's exactly. a whole cycle, yeah. And I know you run one too, so I think, I think that's that's obvious for, from your perspective. And, and it's, But it's frankly like we were, we were thinking about engineers and technology product and, 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 and like trying to kind of manage both. And as we've indexed heavily towards a, a, a people-based business, it's opened our mind and perspectives to um, all the things we can and should be doing. And so lots, uh, we have a monthly D&I um, uh, curriculum that we go through with the entire company where we'd spend probably about 30 minutes of the all hands with brown back sessions underneath 
that go through a specific topic, whether it's microaggressions or um, unconscious bias or what have you. And that's every single month to educate and help the rest of the staff get um, educated and, and uh, just aware of the advantages and disadvantages right. that, that various people across that the falls in your growth mindset and just makes you smarter. I love that. I would love if you send me, I don't know if you've got someone facilitating mm -hmm. it or if you've just like hired outsourced a company, we were putting a ton of energy and time into it in 2020 and like the first half of 2021. And then frankly, just got like ridiculously busy yeah, and yeah, but it's still yeah, well it's, it's our field has gotten like yeah it's like drinking yeah. from the fire hose right now it's a little bit crazy but I, but I, it's important and i think it's it's up to you and up to me as the ceos to like continue to lead into um you know being better and constantly mm -hmm. growing i think that that's great and what about for you personally like how mm -hmm. how has this been for you you know you became ceo in a global pandemic, you had a baby in a global pandemic. Yeah, yeah. It's been a big couple of years of change. Yeah how, yeah. how has it been what you expected and how has it been different? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I think, I don't, I don't know if I had any expectations and so it's hard to say what the difference is versus the expectations. I think, um, uh, and it's also, you know, the, no one could have predicted the last two years and how that would play out for people's mental well-being and employee dynamics and the great resignation that's also, uh, you know, uh, happened over the last nine months or so. Um, so there's, so I, I don't think, uh, I think in short, yeah, definitely different from anything I, I possibly had in mind of what being a CEO could look like. Um, but overall, you know, uh, I, I, I feel extremely fulfilled and fortunate. I think that's, that's, uh, the, the headline and, and specifically get to work with amazing people. Uh, and I really like truly mean that I, I, I love, like when I wake up and I get to go to meetings and I, I'm like legitimately jazzed about, uh, about getting to yeah. talk to people, solve problems with, with the folks. And so um, really fulfilled and really happy. And then, and then to have a, a daughter that, um, you know, is healthy and a family that's healthy through the last two years, I feel just super lucky to be, be in the position um, that I'm in, just like extremely privileged and lucky. So I uh, couldn't, couldn't uh, yeah. I, I, I could have said you were going to be a CEO when I met you. I was like, this guy is like, I, I think of you as being a unicorn because you're super smart, you're engaging and you like, I know it sounds weird, but like being that, I know you don't think you're smart, whatever you said that, <laughs> but I, I think you're smart. Obviously, Zulily <laughs> thought you were smart. You passed the test that nobody else passed. <laughs> I'm kidding. And then, you know, that your team around you recognized you as an outlier and I think it's great that you're just continuing to push the envelope and pushing yourself, not just to be like, oh, I'm in this role, but I'm going to be the best at it. And continually, the self-critical thing, I think, actually comes in slightly handy, even though it has a purpose. <laughs> yeah. It can be painful, but you know, I think it, it's got a purpose. How, how um, I guess, what, what's my question here? Like, who do you turn to when you need comfort or advice um, around the business? Not, yeah. not like comfort, like you know, pillow talk comfort, but like <laughs> business comfort, like, yeah. am I making the right decision? Yeah. Do I have the right board and the right people around me? Yeah. So the, there's, uh, the, the number one person I talk to the most about that is, uh, our, our president of the company, John White. Uh, he, so I, he actually is also from Zulily. I worked with him for the first time. Uh, maybe, maybe had a couple of meetings when he was the director of accounting at Zulily and he was, uh, played a pretty instrumental role in taking them public. So he, he was brought on board to, to help us, uh, enable the IPO from a financial, uh, finance perspective. Um, but, uh, but yeah, then got to know him at Zulily when he took an interim role as uh, director of retention marketing, uh, at Zulily. And, and then also was Daryl Cavins, who's the founder, C ex, uh, CEO of Zulily's, uh, chief of staff business manager. So 
got to work with him. He and I clicked right out the gate uh, and just how we worked together. He then went to Tableau for two years. We brought him uh, back from Tableau to New Engine. He was running ops and then he ran sales and then he ran finance and sales and ops and continued to kind of take bigger and bigger uh, uh, roles and, and successfully. And, and now he's our president, but uh, good friend. And just, he's he knows my weaknesses and gaps and blind spots very well too. And just continues to be, he just provides a really great, great sounding board that's, uh, that can cut through a lot of noise. And so, um, yeah, I would, I would have to say, say him first and foremost. Oh, that's great. That's awesome. And so what are you thinking about as far as the three to five year, like long-term plans? I know it's hard yeah. in a services business. I get asked all the time, like, what's your yeah. plan? What's your exit strategy? I'm like, it's not this, it's a little different. Yeah. Yeah. It is um, different. Um, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think over the next three to five year horizon, you know, we, we, what we're focused on, I think about it from like a business standpoint, what does the business need to look like? What is the, uh, what does the goalpost look like for, for that time horizon? And, and I think, you know, I'm hoping in, in three to five years for one, we are uh, the leader in, um, and I call it accountable growth services, but called performance marketing, performance digital services, i.e. helping companies be uh, or giving the companies the best shot at growing their their uh, digital growth, uh, you know, in, in the country of the United States of America or North America, kind of that that that's the the general sentiment there, uh, and also starting to be an emerging player on the global scale. And so um, we have a UK entity that we started pre-pandemic that we want to revisit and think about UK EMEA um, and expanding more aggressively in, in that region and potentially other regions as well. So I think a lot of that requires us to expand our capability set. So we're looking at, you know, we, I talked about this acquisition we made on the influencer space. We're also looking at uh, other, other kind of uh, service lines or areas that we may be early on or, um, or don't have altogether that we think would be relevant to the future of growth services for brands and businesses. And, and how do we kind of bring that on or, or home grow that in a really rapid way. But, um, but ultimately, I think that means a lot of expansion of capabilities, geographic footprint, and um, a lot of really good execution to, to get there. That's exciting. And are you being asked a lot, like, what's your actual strength? You know, like for us, like, oh, we do marketing, recruiting and product, HR, admin sales. We do a lot. Like, but mm -hmm. what are you really actually good at? And I'm trying to be like, yeah. actually, we have people who run each of these businesses. So it's like, think of fuel as like a holding company. I'm thinking of New Engine the same way, like, mm -hmm. come to us, we'll provide this service. And then there's people who specialize and who can crush yeah. each aspect, you know, the creative yeah. media. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And get that question all the time too. So yeah, yeah, yeah it but, sucks when you're like, no, 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 you can't actually be good. I'm like, we actually are trying to be good. At yeah, all of yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, that's yeah. exactly. Right. And the one-stop shop is like that's kind of our. That's how we would sell yeah. it. It sounds like you engine the same thing. Like, yeah, and, and you don't have to use you for all of it. It can make we mm -hmm. just want exactly. you for just one piece. That's exactly right. Yeah, I think it's awesome. So my final question for you is, what fuels you? Yeah, um, I, that's, you like that's that a great. Question? Uh, yeah, I like what you did there. Um, so th this uh, sounds sounds uh, cheesy, but it really is. I, I what fuels me is the ability to uh, truly help other people. Uh, that and that's like the the short version of it. There's a lot underneath that that I have a lot of thoughts. That I could probably spend a full hour talking through. Um, but I think of that today in a couple of ways. One of which is um, people that choose to. to uh, choose new engine as an employer. It's really important to me that they, that people that join the company view it as a transformative experience. One that they're, they think is life changing is, you know, a choice that they, they uh, will always hold near and dear to their heart. And so, how do we do that through their career acceleration, their growth, their learning, um, connections, friendships they make at the organization? 
Uh, and so that's certainly one way. The other, the other is, um, a, from, I guess, more from a classically altruistic perspective of giving back to community. And, uh, and that's an area where uh, I, I'm really bad at doing multiple things at once or focusing deep on multiple things at once. Uh, hence, like, as I've been working at, at New Engine, my friendships have deteriorated <laughs> as, a, as a very basic example. Just not, not good at uh, wearing a lot of different hats. I know some people are exceptional at doing like five, six different things. I'm just not one of those people. Um, but in, in the next chapter, uh, you know, it's really important to me that, that you know, the, you know, a lot of, uh, there's a lot wrong with the world, I, I believe. There's a lot of systemic issues um, in, in America and, and at the global scale. And, and you know, how do I uh, really move the needle um, in a lot of those efforts uh, is, is, you know, again, I'm, I'm speaking vague terms, but a lot I can speak to specificity and that would take a long time, but um, yeah. that's- Well, it goes that's, back to your value. Passion was one of the values. So that's why you could talk about this for a long time with your passionate guy. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I try to be. Yeah. I love it. Justin, so fun. Good to see you as always. Yeah, you too, Sean. Thanks for having me on. I, I really appreciate your time as well. And so good to connect with you. Thank you for listening to the What Fuels You podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. And follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes. You can also contact us at podcast at fueltalent.com to provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You.